There's crispy, and then there's crispy, er. Try our new and improved Tyson crispy chicken strips. Crispy just got crispy, er. Hello, everybody. I'm Alana Bearfield, and you're listening to HBCU 468, the Roden Fellows podcast. I'm coming to you from the studio at Xavier University. Bill Roden is out today, so my co-host and I are holding it down. I'm on the line with Isaiah George from Morgan State University in Baltimore. Hi, Alana. How are you? It's good. And also, we have Janae Adams from Clark Atlanta University in Atlanta. What's good, everybody? We have a great show planned for today. First up, we'll talk about Nike's new and controversial Just Do It ad. Later on, we'll recap Aretha's funeral and how we can better honor legends like her while they are living. And we'll end with what happened at the U.S. Open and what students are talking about on their campuses. But before we dive in, I want to know what's happening with school. You know, we've been in school for a couple weeks now. So what's the best thing and the worst thing of being in school this year? Janae, start us off. So the best part about starting a new school year is, I guess, showing off your new wardrobe. You know, everybody comes to school on the first first day looking fresh. The worst part about starting a new school year for me now that I live off campus is figuring out what to do now. Once you have breaks in between your classes, since you don't live on campus anymore, but you live too far to go home. So now you're stuck. I'd say the best part about it is, you know, just being around your friends again or just being in the college environment because this this is really the only place where you're going to be around this many people in this age range and and just being in just being in the aura of college, especially at Morgan State. Um, But I think the worst part about it uh, is going back to, you know, the class schedule and just trying to get back to, all right, you're not working anymore, or you may be working, now you have to incorporate classes into that and just trying to get recalibrated or trying to get back into the groove of school. I was going to say the same thing, Isaiah. I think the best thing about, you know, this is my senior year and just getting to reconnect with everyone and knowing that, like, this is it. And basically we're going to walk across that stage in May. So just having familiar faces around you and, you know, people who want to see you excel is always great. Um, Next up, we'll talk about Aretha's funeral and how well we honor celebrities while they are alive. We'll be right back. week, we discussed Aretha Franklin and her legacy with millennials. Many called her funeral, which took place at Greater Grace Temple in Detroit, an event for a queen. It included 100 pink Cadillacs, a star-studded speaker lineup, beautiful musical performances, and some controversial moments. There was a joke about Ariana Grande being an item at Taco Bell, and Pastor Jasper Williams Jr. criticized the Black Lives Matter movement, as well as fatherless families. So I'm wondering, did any of you get to watch the funeral? And what did you guys think? Um, I did get to see a little bit of the funeral. Um, actually, a lot of the funeral, to be exact. And I thought it was a little bit drawn out, um, you know, being over 
you know, a certain amount of time from what I've heard is seven hours and even some for some people even more depending on when you got there. And I think it was good intentions, you know, to make sure they were trying to celebrate her life and, and basically commemorate her. I, I just think it was it was the execution was a little bit sloppy, you know, having so many people there and, and so many people speak. Um, and I think these things could have happened throughout the week because there it was a four day um, I guess you could say four days of events for Aretha, you know, three days of viewing and then the funeral. You wouldn't have had so many, you know, jokes and things like that to happen throughout the funeral and it looking kind of uh, a little sloppy. Um, I think it was really long, but I feel that the family was okay with it. I mean, they had to have planned it out. She had the best of the best perform. You know, Fantasia was performing. There were so many great people, Marvin Sapp, who performed and sang. Um, a lot of people spoke, but I mean, she's one of the greatest. So I think that she deserves something lavish, maybe not eight hours long. But I think overall, it was a very beautiful celebration of life. So it's safe to say that, you know, this beautiful moment, it was lavish. It was a great way for her to go out, um, but it was long. So, you know, my next question is, do you think we need to wait for someone to pass away before we celebrate them like this? Um, it was overdone a little bit. So if you do it while they're alive, you know, you can you can rub the person off the wrong way because at the end of the day, they're still they're still human. You know, they're a regular they're a regular citizen, a regular person like everybody else. So it could probably make someone feel weird to be honored in that way um unless they you know they're just an ego-driven person or something like that i think we can honor our legends while they're living uh in a more a toned down way or a softer way than than the way this funeral and the way the uh week happened for aretha i don't think we need to wait for someone to die before we celebrate them but maybe not to the caliber of how lavish um, Aretha's funeral was, but I definitely think that we should acknowledge people and celebrate them while they're still living. Like Beyonce's birthday just passed. It ju it was just the other day. And I saw people baking cupcakes in her honor, you know, dressing and stuff that she wore. Everybody's celebrating her birthday because, you know, Beyonce is one of our biggest people right now. So I think it just depends. Um, I don't think we need to wait for someone to die before we celebrate them. But maybe not to the caliber of how lavish um, Aretha's funeral was. Yeah, I totally agree, Janae. Um, I think there's so many amazing people out there doing great things in their community, um, celebrities and, you know, non-celebrities, and they don't get that recognition that they should. Actually, just the other day, you know, Cicely Tyson, she's 93, and she makes history as being the first black woman to receive an honorary Oscar. So, you know, who's next? And what celebrities do you think you know, or people you think that should be recognized? Definitely Beyonce, athletes-wise, LeBron, Colin Kaepernick. But then I think if we're talking about people that we don't really talk about in everyday life, like we're journalists, and recently speaking with Isaiah Thomas, Hall of Famer, he said that he was the first person with Detroit Pistons to implement black journalists, like to cover them. There were no black journalists before he was in the league. And so things like that, that's just that's something that we don't really know, but that could that should be honored. We're journalists and we probably wouldn't be able to be in this sports journalism path had it not been for someone like him. Mm -hmm. 
And talk about greater community, you know, a couple of years ago, Beyonce even awarded um, Colin Kaepernick the Muhammad Ali Legacy Award. And, you know, and to see that in that context, um, to see someone that's doing great things in the community. Going back to the funeral with Aretha Franklin, do you think there's anything that could have been done differently? Um, you know, I know that we said it was too long, but maybe there was a certain section that should have just been cut off completely. I feel like if they made, I feel like to just to have made it a regular funeral um, would have been the right thing to do to honor her because you had so much um, in the three days leading up to it. I think it was enough just to make sure you had a regular funeral, you know, even if they were going to, you know, televise it and things like that, they made it kind of like a spectacle and made it more than it was. And I think they put themselves in that position to get, you know, jokes, um, jokes about the funeral and, and different awkward things happening, like with the pastor and Ariana Grande. Like, I think you put yourself in that position by making it what it was. I agree. You know, Marvin Sapp singing, Fantasia, all of that, that was fine. It just turned, but then there were some other parts where it was just too much. Um, the pastor definitely during the eulogy, that was unnecessary. That could have definitely been done differently. I understand that a lot of funerals are televised, but maybe not the whole thing. Maybe there could have been like a personal aspect of it that we didn't need to see, or it could have just been like more personal, I feel like, in certain instances. I feel like some of it was just more for us as the viewers to be entertained versus just celebrating her life. Exactly. Um, you know, us being millennials, do you think we celebrate young musicians differently than older ones? Definitely. We don't we don't like to regard people as legends and stuff like that, like give them a lot of credit until they get older. For example, Drake's done a lot, but if you would ask anybody is he like a top of all time, any millennial, they'll probably say no just because he's young. But I mean, he's done a lot in the like for, you know, in music. So, I mean, I just feel like we don't really celebrate younger musicians that well until it's too late. I think when it comes to musicians, it's almost like the same as um, anybody that plays a sport, whether it's basketball players or football players. It's kind of hard to say, oh, that person is, you know, the greatest of all time in R&B or whatever, because the standard has been set by an older musician before them. So I think that's like the same thing that happens, like I said, in sports. So I think that's one reason why we don't really can regard a younger artist at the time, because it's so hard to to see in the moment, like what a artist is doing or, or what a person is doing, like in the moment, oh, this is really great. Sometimes it takes really time to look back on it, see other people that have tried it and, and failed at it to see that, okay, what that person did or what that artist did at that time really made them one of the greats. I agree. Does a person or a musician have to be remembered by an anthem, you know, or a single song that makes them them um, to be remembered in a positive light? I don't know if you need it, but it definitely helps. It's, it's like one of those things. And, and to bring it back to sports for, um, for a second, a lot of times you'll have a sports player and they have a certain play that you always remember um, You with maybe with Michael Jordan, there could be, you know, the shot, so to speak, or with Dwight Clark and the 49ers, the catch, um, any, I mean, you, you look at some artists and you'll hear a song like with Aretha Franklin, 
everybody, whether you're a millennial or you're an older person, you, everybody knows the song Respect. So that was kind of like that song that probably made her, you know, one of the greats. She had plenty of songs um, um, early in her career and later in her career. But I think it helps to have that staple song or that staple thing in your career where it's like, okay, this is what made them great. I agree. Um, with anthems, I feel like it's kind of hard for like our generation to say really, because I mean, like, who is our singer of our generation? If you think about it, like, who has the voice? I mean, we can name rappers and stuff, but singing wise, like, we don't have like the Whitney Houston famous national anthem. Like, who is our person? But musicians wise, you have to have your song you have to have something that everybody remembers you by collectively for us to you know for you to be remembered positively and things like that yeah john a you made a really good point i think music for us you know in this generation it continues to change and what is really music to us now you know but to addition to aretha you know this year we've lost a quite of quite a few stars, you know, Kate Spade, Anthony Bourdain, Craig Mack, Winnie Mandela, you know, through this year, has there been anybody that really touched you and, you know, that passed away? The news about Mac Miller really took me for a surprise. It was really shocking just because I grew up on Mac Miller. Everybody my age all grew up listening to his music throughout high school. Kool-Aid and Frozen Pizza was a song that was popular. Donald Trump, I think, was his first big song. And then just his mixtapes, his albums, they've all been consistently great. Mac Miller is one of the few artists that produced consistently good music. All of his albums were solid. Um, his last album, Swimming, came out not that long ago. And it was really great. He touched on a lot of his drug abuse, his depression, and a lot of that. So it's really sad to see that he's gone because so now it's like... I'm about to, a whole generation of kids are going to grow up, um, go into the next phase of their life without having his voice there. And that's new because he's always been there throughout um, most people my age who are 20, 21 years old going through their young adult life. So this passing is really hard. Yeah. And to, um, something that mm -hmm. you brought up, I'm um, talking about someone catching you off guard. I know actor Burt Reynolds just recently uh, passed away also. So that's something that caught me off guard because you, even if you haven't seen his movies, um, so to speak, you've probably seen him in a cameo appearance or somewhere or seen him in an interview and, and, and know at the very least his impact that he had on the entertainment. So, I mean, like I said, once you see somebody that's, that you've seen for so long, whether it be on TV or heard their music or whatever, and to see that they're gone, it's, it's kind of like a weird feeling. And just to see how all these, um, you know, celebrities have made an impact on society in some shape or form, it speaks to their character itself. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we'll discuss Nike's new ad and what it means to us. Stay tuned. Even if 
if you don't wear Nike gear, I'm sure you've heard about the controversial ad Nike dropped last week to commemorate the 30th anniversary of its iconic Just Do It slogan. Several star athletes like Serena Williams, Odell Beckham Jr., and Shaquem Griffin are featured. The controversy, however, is over Colin Kaepernick. He narrates the video for the ad and his face is featured in a photo with the words, believe in something, even if it means sacrificing everything. This is in reference to the fact that Kaepernick has not played football in the NFL since he took a knee to protest police brutality and inequality and opted out of his contract with the San Francisco 49ers. Here to discuss with us is CBS local sports reporter, North Carolina A&T alum and frequent contributor to the podcast, Jamel Murphy. Welcome to the show. Hey, Mike. Great to be here. Let's talk about the reactions. You know, they've been mixed. It looks like the ad has generated millions of media exposure, and some ad executives have even called it brilliant. At the same time, some people are mad, burning their Nike gear, and posting hashtag burn your Nike or Nike boycott. What did you guys think about it? Uh, no, I thought it was great, actually. I, you know, a lot of people are saying that it's a, you know, strictly a business move uh, by Nike, which, which I, can, I can agree with that. But even if it is, I think it's a great business move, but also it's a no-brainer as far as, uh, you know, from the moral aspect. And the reason it is a great business move is because they're choosing the right side of history. I mean, all these people who are getting upset saying, you know, burn your Nikes and all that, these are the same, you know, types of people who were, you know, mad when Martin Luther King was, was protesting, um, who, were, who tried to prevent uh, school sec- uh, desegregation in the 60s, in the 50s. So... You know, Nike, I think, did the the right thing and also, you know, the, the correct business thing in taking Kaepernick's side here and uh, and taking a stand. I think that with the campaign, if you look at everyone who's in the ad, because, you know, it's not it's not only Kaepernick. I think it was a great business move, like Jamal was saying. Everybody in there creates a lot of buzz. Serena Williams, uh, you have Odell Beckham Jr., who is now the highest paid wide receiver in the league. You have Shaquem Griffin, who has been a a national story since for his last couple of years at UCF um, with only having one hand playing the linebacker position and now starting now for the Seattle Seahawks and Kaepernick, who has created buzz in the last couple of years because of his stance um, with the of kneeling during the national anthem. I think it was a great business move because they're getting so many people who are recognizable right now, who are have a, creating a lot of buzz for them. Um, I think it was a great move. And also, what the league is, I mean, Nike isn't going to lose anything from this. I mean, they have a contract with the NFL and the NBA when it comes to uniforms for the next um, 10 some years. So, I mean, I think they knew that they were in a great position, not only to get a lot of people on their side, but just to create a lot of buzz and talk for themselves. I think it was a great move overall by Nike and I'm proud of them for it. The slogan, the caption, everything was great. I don't think that Nike is going to lose business off of it. I think that there are a lot of people who are in support of it. Even though there's some people who aren't supporting it, they I don't think it's going to make that big of a difference in terms of their sales because they're going to generate just a lot more sales in general. So, And, you know, Nike, they're on the right side of history um, from having this bold ad. Nike has always been putting out bold ads. And just, you know, partnering with Colin Kaepernick is just another stepping stone. I was going to say that, uh, you know, it's a great move also for Nike because uh, it's pretty clear that, 
the majority of athletes are on Kaepernick's side and agree with what he was doing, whether they are willing to kneel or to protest or not. Um, most athletes, majority of them, have, have said that they agree with uh, what he's doing and they understand the reason behind it. So it also, I think, helps Nike. It, it gives Nike more strength, you know, in the market, you know, in terms of potential future uh, clients and endorsers and all that kind of stuff. So, and, and even younger kids who have yet to, to reach the level uh, to where they would be, you know, they would endorse Nike, but kids, you know, playing AU ball now can look to this and say, you know, that's, that's a uh, company that I want to be a part of. So, and I, so I think that that was definitely part of the equation for Nike as far as, uh, you know, like I said, wanting to be on the right side of history, but also recognizing that the majority of af- athletes are, of course, African-American and, uh, you know, trying to appeal to them uh, and, and to make the Nike brand stronger in the future. Do you guys wear Nike? Are you guys going to stop wearing Nike? What's your stand on that? <laughs> yeah, I definitely have Nike, Nike slides on right now. So, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to stop wearing it. I've worn it for a while. The people, I think, that are saying that they are not going to wear it, I truly don't think that group of people is big enough to hurt Nike um, compared to the people that are going to be drawn into Nike from this ad. Like I said, look how, look how the four people that are in this, um, ad, com- ad campaign and what they're doing right now. Odell Beckham, it's, it's, it was just great timing. Odell Beckham Jr. with the deal. Like I said, Shaquem Griffin and Colin Kaepernick and Serena Williams. I mean, all of them. It was just great timing with all that they're doing and they're bringing in their fans and people that admire them. So, I, I won't stop wearing Nike, and the people that are wearing Nike that aren't, they're going to stop. I, it's it's not enough to even make Nike flinch. Yeah, and there's a, there's also a question of whether that group that supposedly disagrees and is all fervent about burning Nikes, whether whether that's even as real as it as it seems. I mean, there have been reports that a lot of the stuff on social media, um, a lot of the accounts on social media that are you know hashtag tagging boycott nike and all that kind of stuff are actually bots you know and it, and it could be russian bots and we and we know that's prevalent now uh so the dissenters might not you know might not even be as real as it seems you know and also from this ad when they we found out that they had this partnership what did your peers think about it um what did your parents say about it um all my peers thought it was a great move by nike all my peers um, retweeted and posted on their own social medias the the post with Colin Kaepernick on it. My parents were definitely in support of it. We're all huge Kaepernick fans. I'm from the Bay, so we're Niners fans, so we've been fans of him for a while. So everybody thought it was a great move and just thought it was really positive and influential what Nike did because they could have easily chose not to use Kaepernick, but the fact that they did, the fact that the NFL uses their brand, just all of that taking that into account, they still use Kaepernick. That's just really groundbreaking. So everybody that's around me was in support of it. And yeah, I've seen that other people weren't and that they're burning their clothes and things like that. But I just think that that's just reacting. I don't think that people are really going to take that serious and actually still boycott Nike in the future. I think that's just a in the heat of the moment type of thing for the people who aren't supporting it. Yeah, I mean... It's, you know all of all the people that i'm i'm friends with and uh that that i that i have respect for <laughs> pretty much uh 
you know, liked the move, appreciated the move. I think it helps it helps the cause, whether or not it's it's business related. It furthers uh, Kaepernick's uh, stated cause, um, and you know, really helps us helps society move and move on into uh, a better place. And also, I think another thing it it does is it's going to put pressure on other corporations, other businesses who have kind of been afraid uh, to take a side in this and, and try and have tried to stay neutral. I think that the success that Nike is going to show, like, you know, there's no question in my mind that Nike will continue to do well and probably will do better financially, you know, after this move. And I think it's going to show uh, other corporations who are scared to, to take, you know, stand one way or the other, that that's probably the best thing to do is to, you know, whatever whatever the higher ups believe in whatever you think is correct you should you should go ahead and do it um because it's not going to hurt you in the long run the ad aired during the NFL season opener between the Atlanta Falcons and the Philadelphia Eagles Nike is contracted to supply NFL uniforms for at least 10 years do you think that this ad will push them to finalize their anthem policy or do you think it will hurt their contract i think that this ad will help them you know re- recognize Kaepernick's point this whole time and, you know, accept different views that, you know, because they didn't want to agree with what he was doing. They thought it was something else and what he was really protesting and it turned into something that I didn't really need to turn into and that the NFL was being unsupportive of the anthem um, protest, which it wasn't really an anthem protest. So just all of those things into consideration. I hope that this ad really helps the NFL open their eyes and realize that Kaepernick was being was doing a good thing. He was being influential, and that they should learn from this and move forward accordingly, and just embrace other people's views. Um, to me, I think this just helps. Um, once again, it's just the timing of everything. Um, you know, I think Nike kind of sat down and really thought this through on when exactly they wanted everything to drop and they wanted everything to come together. So I think it'll help. I don't think it'll hurt Nike's situation. I mean, at the end of the day, if anything happens with the, with Nike and their deal with the NFL, they still have a deal right now with the NBA and making uniforms and with plenty of other um, colleges and universities and things like that. So Nike at the end of the day will be fine. I think this will probably help bring some closure to the the anthem policy um, because of so much support that the ad is actually getting. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think um, it'll educate uh, the NFL and, and some of the owners uh, that that Kaepernick, you know, may, may be, uh, he actually isn't hurting the league and, and maybe it's, it's all to do about nothing as far as the, as far as the dissenting opinion is concerned and that they can embrace differences of opinion and still be a successful league. I think this ad will help the NFL come to that conclusion. And for this ad, you know, some people even called it gutsy. But Jamel Hill wrote that the ad was just good business since Kaepernick has worked with Nike since 2011 and has one of the top-selling jerseys. Does that cheapen the message for you? Is Or, you know, is Kaepernick just being used? Uh, I don't think he's being used because at the end of the day, um, like you said, or like Jamel said, he's been working with Nike since 2011 and the jersey sales and everything like that. So he's still been making money from this. So I I wouldn't say he's being used because he's still benefiting from it. 
and Nike, they're doing what any other corporation would do, and they're still trying to figure out a way to make sure they stay ahead of the game, stay ahead of their competitors. And backing Kaepernick in this ad was a way to do that. Again, I, I agree with that. I think, you know, I, there's no way you can say that I can say he's being used. If anything, they're helping each other. They both have different goals, and, and I think this, this helps out both both of those goals. Um, and he's getting paid. I mean, Nike is paying him uh, as far as the campaign. So I don't see how it could be a, situ- a situation where he's being used. Looking at that, Kaepernick hasn't even been on the roster, and he still is, his jersey's still being sold as one of the top 50 jerseys for the sales. I mean, how does that speak to Kaepernick and what he's doing for the community? I mean, it shows a lot. I mean, it shows that, you know, he's had, you know, a great deal of support all along, despite, you know, what you hear, you know, in certain, in certain, part, you know, television shows or radio shows, um, despite what you hear from the NFL owners, um, there, there's always been a, you know, a swell, a swelling of support for him, um, and the issue that he's talking about. Um, and I mean, he, you know, he, it's basically like the commercial says, I mean, don't be, you know, I forget exactly what the wording is, but, you know, don't be afraid to stand for something, even if, you, even if you're risking it all. Because really, when you look at Kaepernick, he become an icon beyond anything he could have become, you know, on the football field. And, you know, this is a guy that's going to have statues made of him, you know, in, in the future. And, and there's no way that would have happened if he would have stayed quiet. Even I don't care if he won a couple of Super Bowls, he would not have the same stature as he has now. In the Twitter world, as you see, you know, scrolling through, we've seen a lot of memes and gifs that's been happening. What are your thoughts on that? I think really they're in, they're in, some people would say they're in bad taste. I think they are actually in good taste. They're, they're kind of funny. They poke fun at the, you know, at what Nike's doing or whatever, just to keep it light. Um, so people aren't so serious about it. Um, we talked, or we've seen, you know, the, the Kanye West one, uh, where it says slavery was a choice as the quote. And it's funny because on the bottom, it's actually an Adidas sign instead of a Nike sign. And people know that, uh, his shoes are made by Adidas. And, you know, there's other stuff where there's one for Floyd Mayweather has the money team on the bottom and it has just like a bunch of words, um, and a bunch of letters are randomly typed as if, you know, a joke that Floyd Mayweather or whatever and his reading skills. So, I mean, there's a lot of stuff, uh, a lot of memes out there and it's, 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 it's funny, you know, it, it just keeps it light. So it, you know, it's not so serious And um, we know for a fact what Kaepernick sta- is standing up for is actually serious, but it's, it's a light note, you know, just to keep it light, keep it funny. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, there were definitely some funny ones. Like the Nick Saban one was funny. It's like, I'm not going to do it. So quit asking, you know, it was right after, his whole little outburst on the sidelines the day before. J.R. Smith, there was one with him, like, believing something, even if the scoreboard says something else. So I just think it's all poking fun. Nothing needs to be too serious. Just line up the mood. So I definitely think that all the memes that came out of it were funny and in good taste. I think we're going to stop the conversation there. But, um, Jamal, thank you so much for coming, you know, able to shed some light on this topic. We really do appreciate for you taking the time. Um, We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we'll discuss the hot news that's happening on our campuses this week. Stay tuned. There are over 100 historically black colleges and universities in session right now. Though they all aim to celebrate black culture, history, and excellence, I think it's fair to say every school does it their own way. 
I'm curious what's been the big deal in your schools lately. What are students looking forward to and what are they mad about? Well, right now, what students are looking forward to at、uh, Morgan is a new shopping center,、um, possibly a grocery store. And、um, that's kind of a big deal if we do get that because we have not actually had a grocery store in a close proximity for about two years now. So that's something that a lot of people are looking forward to, and that's just been announced.、Uh, a lot of things that are, people are mad about. Uh, in my school is, is really the safety concerns that we have.、Um, Morgan State is an open campus, so it's,、um, we can't really stop or monitor how many people are on our campus or coming on our campus that are not students or faculty and things like that. In the last semester, we've had、um, crime alerts、uh, probably about every other week, and、um, it was a lot of stuff like robberies and things like that.、Um, we had a couple of Peeping Tom incidents in bathrooms, and we also had a, a shooting.、Um, and these are some of the things that you deal with when you're at a college, you know, in a city such as Baltimore and things like that.、Um, speaking of the city of Baltimore, and we had a former、uh, basketball player who was shot down recently. She, she was, her name was Tracy Carrington.、Um, she was one of the leading scorers when she played for Morgan.、Uh, she scored over a、uh, thousand points、uh, in her career, and she, Uh, it's, it's sad to see her go, and you know, in a city like this, and we've seen so much violence, it's,、um, it's, it's hard to deal with. And, and a lot of students are mad about, you know, the fact that we have to deal with these things when we're just trying to, you know, go to class, get our degree, and, you know, move on. At my school, Clark Atlanta University, we're looking forward to homecoming. It's next month, but right, it's the 30th year anniversary of our school. Been, they just today actually dropped. Flyers saying that we'll be knowing soon who we'll be having for homecoming and all the events, so we're excited for that. Next week, we have our first home game for football. We play Tuskegee, so we're excited for that.、Um, things that we're frustrated about、um, trying to figure out where to go to if you're experiencing mental health issues because a lot of our resources on school they require an appointment rather than you just being able to come at any time that you're. You know, wanting to talk with somebody and speak with a counselor.、Um, they might just tell you to come back at a certain time and, you know, schedule an appointment, but it could be life threatening and urgent. So that's a major concern. And, you know, for Xavier, earlier when this month, well, in August, we have been having a housing issue. Basically, this has been the biggest freshman year class ever, which is a good thing because our enrollment is going up. On the negative side is that we don't have enough rooms to accommodate everyone. So, what's been happening is that a lot of students are getting housed at other schools, local schools around, and been getting bused to come to Xavier every day,、um, which is a challenge for some people because they want that on campus experience, especially when it's their last year, but they're not getting that. And on top of it, you know, they're spending the same amount of money that anybody else would. On the bright side,、um, you know, Xavier just received a 1.5 million gift, you know, of amount of money from Gail and Tom Benson from a charitable foundation. Basically, it will help out with a scholarship fund, but also help with the chapel that we have here on campus, which is a nice、um, way to start off the year for Xavier. Right now, we're going to take a short break. Stay tuned.
U.S. Open has finally come to a close, and folks can't stop talking about the match between Serena Williams and Japan's Naomi Osaka. Here at the Undefeated, we were all excited about a finals between two women of color. Osaka is Haitian and Japanese, but by the end of the match, that was hardly the biggest storyline. The tension between Serena and the Empire raised questions about gender and racial bias and virtually eclipsed Osaka's Grand Slam win. Here to help us make sense of it all is Amber Kuntz, assistant for ESPN Films and former high school tennis coach, and our own Rodent Fellow and tennis reporter, Tucker Tool. Welcome to the show, Amber and Tucker. Hi. How you doing? You know, for Serena Williams, basically, she's like a sister that you never really see. And, you know, through her ads, through her videos, through social media, you feel like you know her. And to see that, you know, what happened within that match, you know, we all kind of felt some type of way and we all went to, you know, to social media. But this is a crucial point where we see sexism and racism collide. And just to see that, for instance, like Aaron Boone, you know, he was putting a finger up in somebody's face when, you know, when a call wasn't going correctly for him. And to see that she basically defended herself and news outlets wanted to say that she exploded and she was this and she was that because she wanted to have a word and because she wanted to stand up for herself. She's in the wrong. No, that's not how it's supposed to work. What I felt was there was an opportunity that was squandered. And as a Serena fan, I've always felt like Serena's peaking and she's always at her peak. And I think again, so Osaka, because when you go into a Serena match, you always think Serena's going to dictate either she wins or if she loses. If she's having a good service day, she's going to win. If she's not moving well, she's going to lose. And in this match, Osaka <coughs> just played phenomenally, and that's why she lost. But it's also because I think for the first time for me, I saw age in Serena. And so for me, it was this, oh, my gosh, I need to soak in as much of Serena as I possibly can in this moment. And it was squandered at the U.S. Open this year because of what happened. And I just feel like when Serena plays in our home tournament and when she plays on television, she plays it in the States, it should be a moment of just pure celebration. As if Jeter was, you know, when he had his last games at Yankee Stadium or Kobe his last season with the Lakers. It's, it's these last few moments that we need to appreciate what she has done for the sport and what she's done for her fans. I agree, and we need to appreciate what she's done for sports in general because I'm sure she gave confidence to, you know, young women who weren't just tennis players that were maybe athletes in other sports, you know, and gave them the confidence to, you know, be able to compete. And it's just another opportunity for women, you know, to pick up the tennis racket. So many athletes want to go to basketball, volleyball, you know, the practical kind of sport, but tennis is opening doors for so many young women, so many young black women. And to see Serena Williams and now Osaka as being role models, it's an amazing thing. You know, Osaka for Serena, that was her role model also. To so to see her beat her role model at twenty years old, that's it's a it's accomplishment. It's a milestone for her. So it's just it's not gonna stop here. It's going to keep going. We're going to see a lot more from Osaka. I mean, this is her first of many. Yeah. I, I was able to attend my first uh, U.S. Open 
this year, uh, I was able to catch the round of two Serena versus Venus match, and I was just taken away, you know, from from seeing them on TV growing up, um, you know, being two of the best women athletes there are, and then to see them, you know, battle it out in person was, was something special. Serena is tennis. Serena is the biggest ticket in tennis in America. Now, yes, on the men's side, you have Roger Federer and Nadal and Djokovic, and, I mean, phenomenal athletes in the game, but people come to see Serena at the end of the day. Serena and Vina. I was just going to say, I didn't know, you know, my biggest question is, do you think Serena Williams ever, you know, will play in the U.S. Open again of just how, you know, how they treated her? Uh, I know a couple of my friends asked me that, and that that has been in the air. So I didn't know what you guys, your take was. I I personally think that, you know, she's going to use this experience as fuel to come back next year and, and win it. Um, I think she, you know, came back strong from having her baby this year. And, you know, nothing stopped her. She got to the championship match. Um, she had a tough match against Osaka. But I think she's going to use this situation as motivation coming into next year's Open and next year's circuit. It's funny you say that because in her uh, speech at the U.S. Open on the stage, she said, uh, if I come back, it was this question mark. So now people are talking about it. I agree with you. I think this will be – Serena is mentally tough. That's why she's partially partially the reason why she's the greatest tennis player to ever live, greatest female athlete to ever live. It's because of that mental toughness. And I think in a year, she'll come back with even more fire under her belt. And we might see Osaka Serena final again. Who knows? And also to see how Nike, you know, is backing Colin Kaepernick, backing Serena Williams. For Colin Kaepernick, you know, 30, 31% of their Nike sales already went up. Um you know, people already said to me what would be nice to see if Nike actually comes up with a Serena Williams line. And that's something that people are looking towards, you know, getting and buying and being the first person in line to say, hey, I have the Serena Williams shirt or to see her face on it. So so what did you guys think when Serena was really discussing with the umpire about being accused of, of cheating? Well, what was your guys' thought about that? I mean, yeah, that's like the biggest cardinal sin in athletics is being a cheater. I mean, Serena Williams, like she said, she stands up for what is right because of her daughter, and she is never shown to be a cheater or to cheat the game. She's actually brought so much class to the game that it is a complete and utter insult to even acknowledge it. Exactly, Amber. You know, the Empire singled her out, questioned her. And to say that she's a cheater and, you know, that she said, I'd rather not cheat. I'd just rather, you know, lose. And that speaks that speaks volumes. Who wants to be a cheater? Who wants to? She works hard. Her work ethic is can't even, you can't even explain her work ethic. And to see that statement being made, it just it's you could tell in that moment and how she brought up about her daughter, she was she's not that type of person to do that. Serena is so dominant that people have to assume and accuse her of cheating or using TDs or whatever you may have it. So I, I just think this is something Serena's always 
had to deal with. We see she's always dealing with something. You know, the French Open just banned her cast, so it seems like it's, it's just always something with Serena. The biggest problem is that we can never congratulate black excellence, that we can never, some reason, we always have to find a line or she did it this way, or we have to find some reason of why she's so great or why she can dominate on the court. But she's just good. Just just applaud her because her, she deserves it. So what was you guys' reaction to, you know, the whole Serena situation, on, you know, seeing um, what happened on social media and, and everything? So and just to see how she talked to the Empire a lot of people didn't agree with her of how she reacted, of how she, you know, basically with the media, they continue to say that she had outbursts. She exploded. She did this. She did that. But that wasn't the case. She was defending herself. She was making herself known in the sense of this was wrong and this needs to be clarified. But luckily from her doing that, now there's a conversation getting started through social media and people are acknowledging that you know the rules in tennis are not is not in place correctly and something needs to change either now or later and it needs to be now honestly just to see how Serena you know still at the end of the day put herself together and she still congratulated Osaka says a lot about her sportsmanship Thank you so much, Amber and Tucker, for sharing your insights on Serena. But that's all the time that we have for today. Thank you. Thank you. Right now, we're going to take a short break. Stay tuned. I'm a boss lady. I'm a boss lady. I'll be calling shots. I'll be getting money. I'm a boss lady. I'm a boss lady. I'll be calling shots. I'll be getting money. Nothing can stop me now. I'm on top. I'm milking the cash cow. What you got? Twenty five hundred on my feet. You know, to end this on a light note, let's talk about the song of the summer. Now that summer is finally coming to an end. Um, well, for me, this started off. I would have to say Drake in my feelings. Um, basically, you know, that song has. A little bounce music in it and for new orleans we love bounce music so i would have to say that's the song of the summer uh for me i would have to say it would be juice world's lucid dreams that song has been played all summer on the radio just like you know drake's in my feelings and it's a song that's it's different you know it's a guy who's a who's a rapper but he's he's, he's singing and it, it has a little bit of a a rock type feel to it and, it and it's something that a lot of other rap artists you know have at the co-signed and said that you know this is kind of like this is a good song this guy you know out of chicago and things like that so i think that juice world's uh lucid dreams that's probably the song of the summer for me i'm from california so i'm gonna go with yg big bank i think that song has been played everywhere all summer once that song dropped like in june everybody got on it because i got Big Sean, Nicki Minaj, 2 Chains, all on the same song. So I think that song wins. But In My Feelings is, in my feelings also was big. Inter- it's something interesting about Big Bank. I know that was a, a song on the Madden soundtrack, and they uh, Madden and EA was, uh, received scrutiny because when Big Bank, the song was on the uh, the game at first, 
they actually blanked out the word Kaepernick in Big Sean's verse. You know, that's something we were talking about today. So that's actually interesting. Yeah, they were messed up for that. Supposedly it was a mistake, but I just feel like, I don't know, you just don't take someone's name out of a song by mistake. I mean, I, I work at a radio station where, you know, I clean songs, you know, that's part of my job. So I have to go in and take out a cuss word by reversing it or muting it. So you like, you don't do that by mistake. <laughs> I, I found that kind of weird. Well, I think we picked some solid song choices, but that's all the time we have for today. If there's anything you'd like us to cover, or if you just want to leave us a comment, tweet us at the undefeated hashtag Rodenfellows. You can also contact us directly on Twitter I'm at underscore Alana B. That's underscore A-L-L-A-N-A-B underscore. I'm at Janae and Adams, J-A-N-A-E-N-A-D-A-M-S. And I'm at underscore underscore man of the hour, M-A-N-O-F-T-H-E-H-O-U-R. Thanks for listening to HBCU 468, the Roden Fellows podcast. That's all the time we have for today. The show is produced by the lovely Aaron Mathewson. Special thanks to Tarika Foster Brasby and Kyrie Williams. Get all the HBCU 468 podcasts as well as the plug, The Right Time with Bomani Jones in the morning roast by subscribing to the Undefeated on the Listen tab of the ESPN app. Join us next week for another HBCU podcast. And don't forget to make The Undefeated your go-to site for a soulful look at sports and entertainment. Have a great week, everyone.